Hello and welcome to Speak Your Truth and Look Good Doing It podcast. My name is Camila, or as you've seen me online, Maria Camila. I'm a brand strategist, photographer, and videographer. This work is about amplifying the visibility of conscious leaders and brands who are wanting to leave this world better than they found it. This podcast is about letting ourselves be seen, both physically and spiritually, and highlighting the nuances we experience as we are growing both personally and professionally. Thank you for being here, and let's go ahead and dive in. Hello there. Welcome back to the podcast. Okay. If you are in New York City, I'm going to be there from March 2nd to March 8th. If you would like to work together, let me know. Miami's already booked and said and done. So let me know. And then if you live at least one hour away from Arizona, it may serve you for you to just come here. So let me know what you want to do. Connect with me on socials, on Instagram, and book a call, or just shoot me a DM, whatever you want. Okay, now... For today's episode is a very special one. I have Ocelot Mora on the podcast episode. I'm really excited about his story because we connected on him coming to me on a photography mentorship, which is not my usual inquiry. I don't really do mentorship for people, but I was really captivated by his story. He is a trans man of color. He, I believe he lives in New Mexico. He's from Texas. I believe and I'm sorry Ocelot if I get this wrong but you can hear more of his story and it's not that I don't care it's just that I don't remember at the top of my head but I really do care and second of all is he connected with me because he had this project about bringing in more visibility and resources to trans men of color because they've been excluded a little bit of the in the conversation of just the queer experience and the trans experience and how it's different than say for instance white trans women and I was really intrigued it is it was so aligned for us to work together and I was also very impressed by him believing in his mission so much and going into this project because usually I work with entrepreneurs but he to me, he's an entrepreneur because entrepreneurs are leaders and they have incredible self-trust. Um, but he is a community leader and he just believed wholeheartedly in his mission. And he came together to fundraise in order for us to work together and make his project happen. And I think it's such a beautiful story of believing in your vision in order to make something happen. I think sometimes there are so many entrepreneurs that just overthink things way too much and let their rational brain take over. And then they end up not taking the risk or taking the jump to making their dreams happen. So I was actually really impressed and very intrigued and happy to have worked with Ocelot. And he'll share a little bit more of his story. And let me know what you think of this. You can connect with Ocelot on Instagram. His Instagram is vida v-i-d-a dot trans t-r-a-n-s if you want to learn more about his story and his community other than that i hope you enjoy the episode hello there everybody and today i have a very special guest i have ocelot mora 
um, on the podcast. And I'm going to let Ocelot introduce himself. Um, I'll just let you take it from here. Uh, my name is Ocelot Mora. I am a 41-year-old neurodivergent transgender man. Um, I home is Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, when I speak, I do uh, stutter or I will pause just as a light reminder for you, Camila, since it's been a minute to like, I'm totally okay with you really me back in and reminding me where the conversation is at. Um, I take you on my stories. <laughs> so yeah, this is me. And yeah, I love to hear it. And I relate to you. I think I get a little nervous too. And I'm going to piggyback on that on pausing instead of like, <laughs> like, I don't know what to say. I'm going to practice is pausing. And if I feel like, like, that's what I need to collect myself again. And I want to share is about how you and I connected and what your story was because we connected was you inquired out it was about a photography mentorship which is not a usual inquiry for me but i was super excited to take the project on but i want to hear from your perspective just how the idea came about what inspired a photography mentorship if you want to fill me in so um Almost now, two years ago, I had moved over to Salt Lake City uh, to go through a repair uh, for a surgical procedure that I had um, uh, gotten a couple months prior to that. Um, and basically, it was I had gone through medical assault, which then um, was incredibly challenging to try to get um, my boys heard in terms of like the support that I needed at that time and also because of the lack of support that there are that there is for trans uh, people in the medical field um, and more specifically for transgender men um, there's a lot of there's a lot of support. There's a lot of support for trans women and a lot of information um, for trans uh, gender women, which is super needed. Um, and also, though, like um, trans men also do exist and like also need need support and needing more information about, uh, you know, even how our medical transitioning happens and, and those kinds of processes. And so it was really, it, it was a really challenging um, procedure that I had gone through and then the assault that I went through um, and then trying and in trying to look for legal um, support, even like that was looking like there wasn't, I wasn't getting anywhere. And I felt this, need for myself and also for my community to find a way to make my voice heard, to let people know what had happened, um, and also to then figure out um, how we can bring people together to see 
what other kinds of support we would need or we could use out there in the community. Mm -hmm. um, so in that process, like I started thinking of like, you know, what, um, what have I done in the past? Where have I been? And I went back to like my 16 year old self when I had um, come across this amazing nonprofit organization in uh, La Esperanza Peace and Justice Center in in San Antonio, Texas. And this place is uh, an amazing um, uh, social justice like or nonprofit that they do a lot of their activism through art. And it was this reminder that like we don't necessarily need to use our voice to get to be heard and to be seen um and one day I was like went upstairs to my roommate and I was like I have this idea this like amazing but I haven't touched the camera since I was 16 years old and then he's like who he's also he's also trans and so like after sharing what I was um what I was uh, explaining this like vision of like having different stories of trans men and non-binary folks and it's like um you know how how can we make this happen and then I was like I'm thinking photography and he was just like I know what I know somebody and I'm going to text her and I'm just going to see what happens. Yeah. Uh, then that's how you came into the picture. But then it was, it was a beautiful gift that like, it seemed, um, and actually at the beginning, it seemed like, like such a huge gift for me that it was hard to like, want to receive it. Uh, I remember, so Silas is your roommate. Yes. Right. Hi, Silas, if you listen to this. But I remember, um, let's see. It, I didn't know he was going to front everything or that he was going to find a way to cover everything. I remember at first it was just an inquiry and we were working things out. And it wasn't until later where we had decided, okay, we're going to work together, Osalo, you and I. And then is that what you're referring to by you're like, ooh, there's some emotions that come with the receiving when Silas said, I'll cover it. Is yeah. that what it was? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I was in um it was it was a birthday gift, he said. It was like, This is your birthday gift and it was just like I was I was just shocked. I'd be like, um, it took me a minute to um really receive it uh -huh. um because i already felt like we he was doing a lot just by just like him supporting me by being there and for me and stuff and through that hard time and so but then he also saw what he saw the the, the bigger picture right and 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 was my biggest push and then and then you came and then that was it <laughs> <laughs> It was like once I'm in the picture, we are doing this thing. We are building your personal brand. We're getting you on board. I took you through the whole process that I take my clients in. And then we did the mentorship after. And yeah, it, it's an, I, I don't blame you for like just processing, receiving and letting that be okay. And yeah, 
And tell us more what happened as, even as you're building the idea, like what was the overall goal? Because you had is an idea of a photo shoot that was inspired by a book. Um, I forgot, Lauren Cameron, mm-hmm. wasn't it? T- tell us more about that. Yeah, so I was, when I had, um, I was 22 years old when I first saw um, this book, the Lauren Cameron's book, who's in the front cover, um, he is a trans man giving himself uh, a testosterone injection. He's completely naked. And so he's um, posing sideways and he's giving himself a shot. And when I saw that book, that was the first time ever that I um, had seen someone who looked like what I felt like inside. Yeah. So I didn't, I had never known a trans person. I had never heard that word either. Um, and Really? Because I remember you told me you started transitioning. So you're 40 now, right? And you started transitioning at 18. So you were telling me that I started my transit. I started transit eighteen years ago. Oh, eight- oh my gosh, my brain didn't. Okay. Yeah. So, I it was at sixteen. I was using words like "I just want to cut my chest off." Like that's how I was expressing my transition. Um, and at twenty. Uh, that's when I moved to, so yeah, so 22 years old, I was, I was in Knoxville, Tennessee. I was getting ready to come back to Albuquerque. I was, had been doing an internship, um, out there and I look at this book and it's like, holy shit. Like I just started tearing up because I had never seen a trans person. And then it was literally like seeing a, that naked body um, that showed me that I was I didn't have to be trapped in my body the way it was and and that was when um, that's when I like decided that this was something that I really wanted to do but it still took me another year before I started my transition my medical transition just because of uh, growing up uh, Pentecostal and uh, Christian Pentecostal and also like um, uh, tra- childhood trauma that I wanted to make sure that these things were um, not the reasons for me wanting to transition. Um, nobody put that out there for me to do. That was just something that I felt like that was important for me to go through. Um, and then the battle of like, uh, you are going to hell because you're modifying your body, which mm-hmm. is huge because I come from a family who were, or were like, you know, getting a tattoo is, is sinful. Yeah. And, and that, um, anything of anything else would have been you know, I'm going to hell kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. and I really needed to get that settled within myself before I started my process. And it took me a year um, of therapy and just a lot of like, um, just 
going inward and and really questioning and sitting with with these um, with these questions about like starting because it was not nothing was going to um, change back if I had started taking testosterone. So everything everything that all the changes weren't um, going to go away. Kind of thing. Yeah. And how old were you 18 years ago? I, I cannot do math at this time. So now, see, 20, so I was 23. Okay. So, yeah, that was, I was 23 years old when I started taking testosterone. And then in 2010, I believe it was, was when I um, finally got my top surgery. Mm hmm. Which also was it? What's up? What it was a process. It was a process to go through that um, uh, again. That religious piece of it, um, mm-hmm. that fear of, of of God and going to hell. That's really huge. Yeah, I bet that I religious um, conditioning is so heavy and so strong. And yeah, I don't blame you at all for experiencing all those feelings. So was that related to? Because tell us more is about the photo shoot idea. So you were about you. So you were eighteen, no, no, or sixteen. And is that when you saw the Lauren Cameron book, or were you twenty? I was twenty-two when I saw um, Lauren Cameron's book, That's... and then, um, and that just kind of like uh, just stayed with me because that was really important to see like the impact that I received from what like seeing that image was so it was life-changing it was life-changing for me to know that I was literally not going to be trapped in the body that I was that I am in that I was in before my my changes no and so it's like um being a knowing that that was a possibility was really life-saving for me yeah i think of the power of representation as simple as that can truly leave an impact in someone's life of giving them hope like just knowing that there's another reality where you you see yourself represented i imagine yeah yeah and then the other part as i start my transition process then i um you know i come from a mexicano family uh very machista men and and you know my dad and my 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 stepdad um and the other men around us like in my family it was just uh very toxic there was not a lot of um caring and love especially for like the the women in my family and so it was mm-hmm. it was really challenging dynamic to be in um to have to wait um serve my stepdad and my brother and like have to wait until they finished eating so that my sister and I and my mom could sit down to eat you know it was that big of a like difference in in our in our families uh, the dynamic of being men and women and stuff and so then as I start my transition process um, I then realize that I don't have um, that same presence that, like, most men do, and mm-hmm. which 
you know, for me, I'm very soft spoken. I'm I'm super sweet and kind, you know, and the mm-hmm. obviously there are moments where I can get like enojado and whatever, but I don't hold on to those moments like for I don't those they're literally just moments for me. Yeah. It's not like an an, um, overwhelming energy of a personality that takes over the room that's just overbearing. And yeah. And tell me more about that. Because I remember that is even something when we started doing our project together and you also opened up about the experience of being a trans man of color and also how your experience is very different than other men you grew up with and how it's just a different experience. And if you want to expand on that more. Yeah. So it's, you know, for me, um, and now, um, which is where, like, as I'm discovering that I don't fit into this world of toxic masculinity, um, really, like, it's this, there's this moment where I realize that I'm, that I am too, I, I'm, I'm too soft-spoken. Um, I'm too quiet in my movement. It's there's there's a lot of little differences, but there's also a lot of cis men who are like that, right? But mm-hmm. because of where I come from and the people that I my my culture and stuff, and it's like that that didn't exist within my family. Uh, most of the men in my family were just really loud, take up a lot of space and like have a lot of like um, interrupting and just not caring and stuff. And just like, um, you know, uh, just can give you another example. My mom, if she didn't serve my my stepdad a, um, his plate with a good, you know, entrego, the, uh, a good face, right, smile or something, agarraba el plato and he would toss it kind of thing, right? And so- wow. So heavy, like the machismo was in my, um, or in, and still is in my family, and, um, and when I, um, when I started my transition, and I started to do, I started working in construction, and that's when I really started to see the difference, um, and it was great to have like had that book as a reference to look at right but then there wasn't a brown person in there and then we in Albuquerque have a um we have a transgender resource center um but it was two white men leading the the organization and it there was we couldn't relate to Mm -hmm. things that I was going through because it was more of a cultural thing um what was one of the things, if you don't mind me asking? For um, example, um, the whole waiting around, um, the how, so, and things that I don't, that I still do, like my service work, all all these things that, like, in the construction world and with the people that I was with, uh, that was seen more as, oh, I, that's a, um, it's un sissy, like to being constantly go- getting going back into being feminized and um, being seen as uh, oppressed, uh, being oppressed is that right? Um, mm-hmm. And 
but that was just my personality. I'm just like, this is just me. Yeah. And so I didn't quite fit into into this these settings because I I was really surrounded with a lot of machismo. So this was when you're saying you worked construction. You're saying so. You're saying wait, is this working construction with Mexican white or Mexicanos? Okay, and within that space, you would just get a lot of projections onto you, calling you names and yeah, whatever. And pushed around quite a bit too, but just you know, I'm I'm, I'm also tiny. I'm small. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so, uh, and so when I was trying to go to get some support, like it's something that, like, um, you know, there's a there's a layer of understanding, but the deeper layer of like having to have grown up in that way, uh, and trying not to be that toxic person, also trying to constantly. Um, be checking on myself to make sure that I wasn't, um, that I was being respectful, that I was like taking space, taking, uh, being, having quiet time, right? Like taking my space back and like allowing other people to speak and, um, especially women and, and like being there as support and knowing, knowing how to hold a space without like knowing how to be in a space without taking all the space, right? Mm -hmm. And so, that's just so beautiful, knowing how to be in a space without taking up all the space, and just beautiful. Yeah, that was, um, and those are moments that are like, you, um, as uh, as someone who walked in this into this world as a um, as a female body and learning how and seeing how women get oppressed. Um, it was very important for me not to become that, become a man who would be doing that. Um, and I have a question for you. When, who was a person in your life that started to, or, or you felt represented, but it was more in your trans identity of being trans man, but also a trans man of color? Is there a person in your life that they were a turning point for you or somebody that they they understood you from your two identities so being trans but also being mexicano so it didn't this didn't happen um when so at 22 at 23 when i started my transition my medically transitioning i have met one other um mexicano who was going who was just starting his process as well but we literally like missed each other. Um, and a couple weeks later, he he had moved um, to he actually moved to Mexico, mm. um, and it wasn't um, must have been like. I guess my question to you is because sometimes I think that when we're trying so hard to not be something that we dislike. We generally speaking, we tend to overcompensate. And I remember you mentioned a little bit I was, that you were being very conscious of not taking up all this space. And I'm curious, was there ever a time in your life where you felt like maybe you weren't overcompensating or maybe, I mean, you tell me, 
don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah, it's um, I think I think that um, I I feel like I want to say that I feel like I it just I just naturally stopped worrying about it. Yeah. Uh, I I can't really tell you that I have had like um uh even a cis male role model that has modeled any of those things for me mm -hmm. uh, just because of the how i isolating um it was for me um uh, when i first initially came out uh, as trans um i pulled away from the community that I w was involved with because I was around a lot of lesbian groups and like women's circles and that kind of stuff. Um, and again, going back to the knowing um, when to be in certain spaces is important, right? And so I knew that I could no longer be in those circles. And also that there wasn't, it wasn't um, when I first, like it, it was, it was kind of new um, it wasn't very visible like it is now. And so there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of folks who, um, weren't okay with, with the transition. And so, um, even within the spaces of lesbian groups and yeah, yeah, there was a, um, you know, by back then there, it was a lot about was, um, like, uh, you know, women power and like feminism and all this stuff and so like this it wasn't very accepted interesting i think of second wave feminism that's still very narrow and it's not until feminism has evolved that it's more about people from all walks of life and intersectionality which is really what we're ta tapping into for the people that don't know what intersectionality is it's understanding all of our different identities and how we all experience the world in a different way based on our race, gender, um, gender identity, et cetera, et cetera. So, and okay. So going back to the idea of the photo shoot, we'll rewind a little bit. So you've had this idea, you tell Silas, your roommate, oh my God, I have this idea. And this is coming from, um, you experience some medical trauma um and then to, to fill me up okay so you experience medical trauma from that point you come up with the idea and the idea is also to is it make trans men more visible and also provide resources yeah so yeah so the um i was thinking when i what i was thinking was that like what is there more trans men of color and would they be willing to share a portrait of themselves however they want to um but most importantly also like share a piece of their transition story right because just because one person is trans does not mean that we're all trans in the same way mm -hmm. and so um that was like something that was very important because I do come, I came from 
of family, I basically a bubble where like it was church, school, work, and home, and that was it. And so to realize that I didn't know even like what homosexuality was when I was young, I had heard it at church, but I didn't understand what it was because I'd never seen it or like um, nobody in my family had mentioned that at all. And so mm -hmm. it just made me also think of like um, how many other more people of color, especially like um, go through these these moments of like not knowing what um, that people like me exist. Right. And so, and on top of that, that like people like me exist in many different ways. Right. And so just because I am someone who decided to um, go through a full on medical procedure and transition doesn't mean that all trans people want to do that. Right? Yeah. And so there's, um, and there's many different levels, right. And like not, not knowing um, we have one of one of our um, one of the members of my my group that um, that I took that was part of the portraits, um, mm -hmm. you know, didn't know that they could have top surgery, mm -hmm. and they uh, are someone in their fifties, and they didn't know that that was a possibility. Um, and um, then there's others who like they don't want to have top surgery, they don't want surgical procedures, and it's okay. Um, like the idea that we we don't necessarily have to medically transition either uh, yeah. who you are understanding who you are and asking for that respect is that like we don't need more than that common decency I think and it also has me thinking of how important it is to not just have representation, but not tokenism in a way that here's the one diverse person, but in a way of showing the depth and showing like true representation that can never really be accomplished, I think, sometimes because the human experience and we're all so different. And but I really like that you highlighted that with how um, the trans experience can be so different for everybody. And one of the most like amazing things that's happening with with the with that exhibit of because so my maybe the trans is a three phase um, exhibit and uh, one of them is a generational series of trans uh, and non-binary folks and then um, uh, la transena uh, which is my story and we'll get to that and it's like and then. It's my trauma recovery process and doing that through my art. But like the generational series, like because they are individual portraits and stories and they are so different, each story is so different. Um, it speaks to many women and many, many cis women and many cis men um, out there who don't fit the norms of what masculinity and um, femininity should be like. Yeah. So it was really beautiful to witness and hear the conversations uh, that were going on, that are going on, um, because we have, there's a lot of questioning. There's a lot of questions that people have, a lot of curiosity, right? And like, and as a trans person, I get to decide whether I answer your question or not. 
right? And does does that feel good for me to answer? That's up to me. And like, mm-hmm. uh, and being able to just read some of those stories and answer some of those questions that some folks have had, it's was really, it's been really um, powerful, honestly, to like hear the conversations that it sparks up in people. Like, you know, as 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 women, uh, there was there's one quote from Vladimir. As 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 a woman, I was yeah. I was taught to um, have my voice heard, and now as a new man, I'm being told to sit down and be quiet. Interesting. Yeah, and so it it also yes, like, one one of those things that like um, también it, it it's on the edge, no? O sea, porque uh, as a as a trans man, we for myself like like i said earlier i learned how how and when to take up space and all that stuff but at, at la misma vez at the same time is like um one of the things that i noticed for myself is that because i was because of how i was uh raised um and walking in oppression and like and walking in without like knowing what privilege is like when i transitioned it was and when i realized that i wasn't fitting in this toxic world right it was like mm-hmm. i went into this like depression into this place where like fuck like the oppression forgot to transition out while i transitioned into becoming a man Mm, wow, the oppression forgot to transition out when I transitioned into becoming a man. Wow. So, which was really hard um, to process, right? And then, and it's also a very challenging um, mm. conversation still, conversations that are not... Um, quite existing yet so one of the things that I really notice and I have a I I, I do have a, a hard time um, talking about it because I don't have the politically correct words to to use well, no. uh, they're conversations that like I've had on an individual basis with like just close friends um, because I really noticed that like um, I was having a really hard time being um being around trans women, um because I was noticing that they were taking a lot of space, mm-hmm. and we would I would come into a circle um with trans men and trans women like trans women were the ones that were taking a lot of space and stuff. And, and, you know, we go back to knowing when to take space as, uh, as men and stuff. Right. But when you are raised without privilege, when you are raised oppressed and like, um, and for me, like I said, when I transitioned and I realized that I was not fitting in to that masculinity, that privilege, that power, that, that, men have you know saying in quotes because it is um and um but then seeing some of the trans women being very demanding 
of equality of like this uh uh and i and i am I, I apologize for this book because like i don't like you said i don't have the right words and i haven't talked much about it but it's yeah uh, it is um uh it's challenging for me as someone who was female and grew up female and seeing how much oppression has like does affect women and, and cis women um it is like um society sees men as men with privilege because they were born as cis men uh-huh. there when the transition happens um and uh, there is a that like same energy transfers over right and so um and especially when it came to like when i what i was noticing like it was like white trans women uh-huh. who were still very demanding of very demanding of like these spaces and i get the the need for 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 care and like it's super important that uh, trans women get support and because of all the horrible stuff that happens gosh it's like but at the same time there's this un- this there's this lack of communication that's happening out there of um how we become then transphobic if i were to like just by saying this here like i, I i'm now trans- yeah. what what would make it um transphobic about i guess here i'll tell you what's coming to mind i i I think that in our few patriarchal society we have these perceptions about what it means to be a woman and male but it sounds like outside of the binary of the patriarchal society we grew up in it's just a whole nuanced different world and it sounds like that's what you're tapping into that you really have to take it like a, I guess that's what this podcast is for. That's why I have you on here. It's because the conversation is incomplete. And I mean, tell me more. What do you think about that? I mean, I think that these are just the beginnings of like bigger um, conversations, right? That Like there's a lot of fear um, of like being able to share openly and then like when do we have these opportunities and like are people able to come together and have these conversations which are super important like you know it's like when a trans white trans woman is shushing or quieting a cis woman is that really is that okay like like are those things like is there a conversation that can happen there instead of being called homophobic because or transphobic just because you are trying to get your word out as yeah, that has me thinking about just sometimes a conversation in social justice. We get lost in the sauce of <laughs> political correctness or in every... Okay, I think about it in the stages of grief. And what I learned, I had a I had a college professor who was also from New Mexico, from Albuquerque, teach me this. Teresa Martinez, that's her name. She was amazing. Anyways, but she talked about the stages of grief and how grief feels like the early stages are like you're pissed, you're angry, you're reactive, you're just a hot mess. 
And then eventually through the stages of grief, you get to this place where it's more of acceptance and you're more, you're more regulated. And when it comes to having these conversations, and I remember, I don't think I've talked about this before, actually, but I remember hearing conversations about social justice and how the person who's more privileged needs to hold space for the wrath or the up or or the wild emotions of the person who's going through it and there's a part of me that does believe that yeah you if you haven't been through it like yeah you can hold space like your butt is not on you're not the one triggered about this very traumatic thing that you that you experience and at the same time there's a part of me that thinks oh my god well we need to come to a place to be able to have conversations where people are not just snapping at one another but at the same time, how do we do it in a way that it doesn't add more labor to the person that has experienced systematic oppression? It has experienced very painful things. Because I've also, there have been times where I have conversations with friends, say like my white friends or whatever. And when it comes to me having to talk about my experiences and educating, then that feels like labor to me. And it's just a whole mess. It is. It is a mess. And. You know, one of the things that, like, um, I guess, like, where I'm at now in my life, um, I, because of my spirituality and my practice, right, um, my understanding of how I want to see the world and my world um, is that we're all energy, right? And so... Um, if I can just see you as energy, I don't have to pretend to be anything but myself. Right? And it's like, you allow me to be me by just allowing, because I've, I'm, I'm allowing myself to stop this separation um, happening. And so yeah. uh, one, one of the things that like we get taught um, uh, and as, as to like how... Uh, humanity um, existed is uh, that we we are this perfect being of energy that then just get, then then just uh, gets split into two you're positive and you're negative right and everything that's external um is the negative energy which is the protective energy um and so then it's also the the penis and testicle carriers who are known as the place where people live, right? Because they're in the sack of the testicle. Right? Uh. And uh, the positive energy is everything that feeds you, everything that nurtures you, everything that's within. And so then they are seen as the place where people come from because the womb carriers, right? And that's where the we, we come from. And so as something, something to be able to see people people mm -hmm. like how much easier does it make it for us to just have this conversation and understand that that's just where you're at and your understanding of where you're at in your life and so it's like how can I ex be accepting of my own belief you I'm not forcing you to believe in my way right I'm not pushing that on or anything but for me in my world if I see people just as energy then it allows me to exist as me. Yeah. 
that has me thinking something that you mentioned. So as we were doing our work together, I, we were building your personal brand as well as you were carrying out your project. And I remember during our call, there was something that you said that this work is also about having hope, hope for humanity. And it's in the way I understood it is that regardless of whether you're a trans person or not, a queer person or not, that there are takeaways from the experiences. And it also has me thinking of, I have a photo of it on my Instagram. So if anyone's watching, they can go to my Instagram and go to Ocelot um, images. But there's a photo of you when you were younger and you had drawn on... Uh, was it a beard with a sharpie or what was it? With um, what's it called? The stuff that you do your eyelashes with? Yeah, mascara. <laughs> yeah, but I love that photo of you because you look so young. And in my mind, I it, there were there there was some writing on the wall on on that image. And when I see that, I just see a young person that's so passionate. And somebody, and I feel like that's how we all are when we're young. We're so passionate and we're so hungry to find our identity and our, and be heard. And there's that fire within us. And anyway, I, when I saw that, I'm like, isn't that all of us in our own way? And you know, that's one of the things that's like, um, I have my own theory, right? But it's like, for me, um, it's the reason why people are so afraid of us. It's because of the amount of work that it takes us to go within and really look and define who we are and really make these decisions, right? And not, I'm not saying that all, I shouldn't say that like all trans people do this, but like it is, um, it's a deep process of really going within and like finding yourself. And in that process, you're discovering so much. There is like for me, um, discovering that there's not a lot of things that I need, right? And then, and knowing how, um, that what I already have and what I need is within myself. Right? Yeah. And the things that I create are because I want those things, right? And so it was, um, you know, what if everybody woke up one day and realized that there's, really nothing that they need externally mm -hmm. and so it's like um so why why voice people like me or put people like me out out there and show how like you can really exist without needing so it's uh it's a real like um and again this is my world and i get to speak about my world absolutely my own work which i'm so grateful for it's just i just enjoy talking to you so much and that is going to lead me to la trans cena which was what your project was going to be about and tell us more even how that came about fill us in so la trans cena is uh my own recreation of the last supper um the last supper uh to me is a very beautiful image um i 
It was an image that I would see in my friends' homes, in my Catholic friends' homes. Um, and those were the homes that I was welcomed at and invited to. And every time I would see that image with that Jesus with his open arm, it always made me feel like I was welcomed there. Um, and interesting enough, like it was in my own home and in the homes of my Christian relatives that we didn't have those images. We weren't allowed to have those images because um, uh, we couldn't worship anything other than God, Jesus, or um, the Holy Spirit. So nothing could be a statue or an image. We couldn't have any of that kind of stuff okay. around the place. Yeah, so it was like, you know, just realizing, oh, the places where I'm not accepted are the places where those those images are not hanging right and so mm -hmm. uh, and you know I and it's a it's a very powerful image um, when you look at the image um, it is my story so everyone we I had everybody do their own like portrait and, and write their story um, and I decided that I was going to represent my story in La Transena. And I did that by putting um, 12 other guys, you know, trans folks, um, who were in a role that I have experienced in my past life, in my life. And, uh, um, and so there was like this person, this homeless person, um, with the needle on their arm representing a drug user as well, right? Um, I never that kind of drug, but I did. I was a drug addict at that during that time when I was homeless. Um, I I was homeless for a while, and I was bouncing around for quite a bit. Um, I and because of being homeless and being into drugs, I also I also was prostituting myself to get the drugs um, to keep going. Uh, I, there's also an image of, there's a person who's like, uh, holding a, a folklorico dance, a skirt. Um, I was that kid that was in every event at school and at church and wanted to, um, I love dancing. Um, and until one day I, I started to real realize, well, one, I had, uh, shaved my head um, a couple of days before a re, uh, recital, a dance recital that I was supposed to lead, have a, have a lead, I had a lead role, um, and I was being t um, pushed around by the teacher, being told that like I needed to get a wig and that I needed to get a wig because I needed to look like a woman, like a girl, when I went on stage, and um, I chose not to, and I still, I did the show, and afterwards, that was the last time I danced, right? And so then, like, and then I started to slowly notice that I was no longer free-flowing in my dance, that I was starting to stiffen up, that I was starting to, like, just get hard, um, mm -hmm. to the point where, like, then I, I didn't want to dance anymore, um, and, uh, and, there's a there's there's this one set in the back where there's like there's three people together like I I was forced into getting married when I was young uh, to a man by my parents um, and that happened oh. 
um, didn't last very long because I ran away. Um, and when I came back, I had, I, I, when I came back to my home, I like, uh, I bursted out that I didn't like men, that I liked women. And so, you know, they wanted to do an exorcism in the works for me. And, <laughs> and so I just left. Um, and then, um, and then I ended up years later, ended up getting married to my, my best friend, who's a gay man. Uh, and for, uh, different reasons, <laughs> uh, yeah. we, cre we created a beautiful relationship, um, friendship relationship that we still have. Um, and also in the process, like I, um, discovering just who I am and, and, uh, having a lot of shame around like sex and sexuality and all of that stuff. And like, you know, and, and also going through my transition process and knowing that like, I, I wanted to have at some point a gender affirming surgery, which means bottom surgery. I didn't say, so I went through this whole phase of like, you know, I should go and have sex to make sure that I'm like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to enjoy having penetrated sex or whatever it is. Right. And it's like, and, um, it was a process that I experienced that like for me, I it identified that that's not what, um, who I am and, and what yes. I love. Um, but that, that's, uh, I was part of my journey. Um, and so that those three, those, those three people in the back represent that, that, that time. And then the most, um, there's a person who is in a wheelchair and, um, and I put them in a wheelchair because for many of us, disability is not a disability unless it's seen. Yeah. Right? Um, and uh, I'm someone who has struggled all of my life with uh, learning dif differences and so, and, um, and also just um, my processing. And so like I put a, no sé cómo se dice de su para, de, para un títere, una cruceta, like a, Oh, like, um, it's not a stuffed animal. It's, uh, I don't know what it's called. Titere. <laughs> so if you, yeah, I guess if you don't speak Spanish, it would be just like, uh, yeah, I don't know. But it's like a puppet. That's you, like. Puppet. Yeah. That's what it is. Puppet. That you're like. So it's, uh, there's a, one of those things hanging on over him, like representing, like you're just being moved around because right? like, there's a lot of uh, adapting. Like I, I struggled a lot with trying to fit into your world and like the overwhelm, nobody would see the, how overwhelming and how challenging it is for a, a neurodivergent person to like, try to be like you. Right. And it's like, um, it's extremely hard. Um, and so. Then we get to the middle section where there's like the healer in me that I, that starts to like develop. And there's this like person on the table who's laying on the table with an apple, bitten apple, right? That's your forbidden, your sinful woman that's laying there, right? And it's like this person who you can see just in that image, how they're struggling to like, they're trying to get up, they're trying to push off and, um, and then my judgmental self and my critic self is holding on 
and pushing pushing that person in the center, continuing to push them down um, as I'm trying to like find who I am. And you can see just in the different characters, like like there are many roles that we all go through just trying to just um and then it comes into that final piece of like feeling that completion of my body of my heart understanding where my heart is at and that no matter what stage in my life no matter who you are you are all st we are all still the same beautiful creation that was once brought into this world and that we were all this beautiful image of god mm -hmm. it's like because to me and in my understanding of my world now that divinity is within you that god is you god has you're you're the perfect um you're created by the perfect image of god so you are that and so for me um that image is an acceptance that no matter who it doesn't matter you're trans right straight whatever it's like we're all here we're human and we all deserve to be here we all have a story we all come with the story and it's us doing our job going inward working on our traumas working on our doing our work to find out that you know settle those traumas and really figure out like where these things are coming from so that you can allow to see that other people as as they are just as they are so come as you are yeah i love all of that yeah so thank you for sharing all of that and to the person on the other end listening to this i suggest going to ocelot's um instagram or mi vida trans which i'll link it in the show notes because i'm now recalling is all the details of this photo shoot in this project and there's video content there's photos and so you can look at the image and see all the different parts of what he's referring to that all make up your life story so okay and then now to wrap up i'm curious is how are you feeling now what are the next steps for you and yeah tell us more about that so i'm in a very interesting stage in my face i guess we should say in my life right now after the show i uh, the, the exhibit was that was my first time exhibiting um any work also or or like having a solo show um and um it's been really interesting i went through this like uh depression period afterwards where like you know that was that was a year's worth of my work i i was literally that frida Kahlo, I was in bed working on my my little um uh, sculptures and doing my work in bed recovering um, and so that was like uh, and all the trauma work that I had to go through that I did as well and so it was uh, I had devoted a lot of time to my project it's what saved my butt 
um, during that time. Um, right now, where I'm in a new learning curve of, of like how do you move art and like grant writing and all this stuff, which like has been it's challenging. That grant writing world is challenging, and um, you know that's that's in that's that's stalled. <laughs> um, I have some beautiful people in my life right now who are like who see the 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 work and who are um one who are supporting me to figure out how to move this uh this exhibit to other places so um it's it's very powerful it's um and it does need to be it is something that should be seen at a wider in a wider way um and so uh, the hope is to take it somewhere else. Um, learning how to do that. <laughs> so if anybody can out there who like knows how to do that kind of stuff and would love to like help that, I would I would receive that. Yeah. So it's basically because what Ocelo did. So you had your big photo shoot, and then from the photo shoot, there were some other images that you. Um, images that you took of trans men of color, younger, middle-aged, wiser, and they were all, all of their stories and your story as well was shared in this live event, this art exhibit that you hosted. It was in uh, New Mexico and Albuquerque, right? And so, and so you're looking as to have those experiences or even make that project way more visible in other areas. Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. And one of the things that like comes, um, uh, one of the beautiful creations of it was that all the like conversations and the healing that like was just happening from like a lot of these guys had never even taken off their, their shirts or undressed in front of other people. Right. And so like, um, it, it was this beautiful process of, learning, um, trusting, community building, like it, it was a process. It was a year of doing, working with, with the folks to, to get to that photo shoot. Right. And so I had a artist panel and I was asked if I would do this again in a different place, even with a, an entirely new set of people, um, you know, if the resources were there, absolutely. Like, um, just because of how, how it went and like, um, our youngest is, uh, 15 years old. Um, wow. yeah. And, uh, our oldest right now is 54. I have a 71 year old non-binary person, uh, Chicanx person in Arizona who's like interested in, um, participating, but you know, it's like needing the resource to get there and like make that happen or bringing them down what um, is needed but also like um the conversations that it just sparks up right and being able to share these stories um uh are very important um yeah i'm getting ready to launch my uh practice and uh back home in albuquerque i um the uh, indigenous like practitioner and so I do a lot of um, uh, 
the for us for the way we we uh, do with our um, platicas de corazón, platicas de corazón a corazón, so like heartfelt conversations are, are kind of like um, what therapy would be like, right? And so okay. we do that in a lot of grief work and trauma work and lean um, uh, energetic um, energy work, and so that's kind of where I'm at. Are you gonna say limpias? Yes, I was gonna say limpias. <laughs> okay, I love it. Yeah. Taking it easy, resting, and figuring out, like, um, what's next. And going through the waves of the ups and downs of, like, life and trauma. And, like, you know, just things settled doesn't mean that it goes away. Right? And it's like... Yeah. Um, it's a constant daily practice of just remembering that it's okay to have down days, too. And that we're not perfect. And it's okay. Like... Uh-huh. Shit. Yeah, in that shit in your head that has been, um, is 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 where the my daily practice is at. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. There's so many nuggets of wisdom and so many of what so much of what you shared. So thank you, and I'm I'm excited for you to keep the conversation going through your socials or other platforms or events that you'll have in the future. But I thank you so much for meeting with me and your socials for people if they want to follow you or if you want to let us know where to connect with you. Um, mainly on Instagram with uh, Mi Vida Trans, but it's Mi Period Vida Period Trans or Ocelot Mora. Um, either one. Um, I'm posting on both and right now I've been taking a break, but just it's um getting back on it. And I have some more work that I'm gonna be working on. So putting that up. Amazing. Okay. Alrighty. Well thank you for sharing with us and we'll catch everyone on the next episode. <laughs>